The following Smarkout Moment Smack Talk podcast is a pay-per-view point episode, and it is for the 2019 Super Showdown event. Introducing first, I am your host, Tony Mango, and I am joined by Callum Wiggins. Hello. And Robert DeFelice. We're not kids anymore, guys. What? <laughs> We're not kids anymore. I, I still want to be a kid. Can I, I... I left that show not being a kid. Can I go to Toys R Us or no? That's not no, even existing no. anymore. Oh no! <laughs> oh, I was We're gonna make a joke, and now I just got really sad. <laughs> oh, my heart! Like that, that hit me real bad right there. That's really awful. That hit you real bad. Oh, there's a lot of things that hit me real bad today. <laughs> We're gonna break them down here. Typical pay per view point structure. We're gonna run down the card from top to bottom. And as far as, like, the uh, appearances go, not as far as the good to the worst or something like that, but we will talk about the good and the bad. There were some good things here and a lot of things that I didn't really like. Um, But I am in a better mood than I thought that I was going to be and a better mood than I was for the majority of these bunch of hours. Um, I will still preface this ahead of time by saying, that doesn't mean I'm in a good mood. Uh, I, I didn't get a whole lot of sleep, which that was already a great way to start off. And, uh, one of the first annoyances of the day for me was that we started off with these, uh, the kickoff and the kickoff was a pre-taped studio kickoff. The panel was Charlie Caruso, Beth Phoenix, and David Otunga, and they just did 50 minutes worth of take a look at this match. This is what's happening. I think this is going to happen. Did you guys know that this is going to exceed WrestleMania? Uh, You know, the equivalent or exceed to WrestleMania. They did it twice in the first three minutes. And I was like, I'm already annoyed. Like, I'm already tired, and I didn't want to hear this, and whatever. It took until 50 minutes into the, the show for us to get our match. Where it was like 46 minutes or whatever the hell it was. I don't know. It was I know it was at least 41 minutes in. It was about 48 minutes in because they had 11 minutes on the clock. Yeah. So, pre-show wise. Did you guys watch all that nonsense ahead of time? I did, in fact, watch all that nonsense ahead of time. And, wow, I sure know how to waste time. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've already got... I've just had a long day at work. I had to come home. I have to subject myself to four, four, four to five hours of a wrestling show that I'm not particularly interested in watching. Of course, I didn't watch the kickoff show. Yeah, you're I got so lucky. <laughs> you're so lucky. I'm jealous. Uh, did that mean that you didn't watch the match itself as well? I was back. I was back in time for the match. Okay. And I, and I was I was interested enough because it's the Usos and the Revival, and even in their sleep, they can't have a bad match with each other. Yeah, those two teams are two of the best uh, tag teams that they have in the company right now, and I really hate to be down on it, but the fact that this meant absolutely nothing, and nothing happened during it, and nothing happened afterward just meant that this was meaningless. Well, during this match, we got the first of what would be many mentions of how hot it Mm. was in the arena. Supposedly, what, 106? It started at 106. I think it ended up around 101. Fuck that, though. Like, no matter what, you, I it was 80 something here yesterday, and I was already annoyed. <laughs> you tack on 30 more degrees to that? Uh uh-uh. uh. No. Really, credit to Michael Cole, Renee Young, and Corey Graves mm-hmm. for 
being in full formal wear in that heat, probably having to pee at some point, you know, like that's a hard job. And credit to them. Well, credit to them, but fuck the company for putting them out there in that, like, having to wear that sort of stuff. Like, give them something easier to wear in that kind of heat. It's like or... it's all about like presentations and stuff like that. Like, give them, give them something that's a bit more free, like free and I guess with Renee Young, you can't because if they, if she showed a bit of elbow, she probably would have been stoned to death. <laughs> so. <laughs> Just, just, just as a quick reminder of the fact of this is a hideous like deal that they have going, and they shouldn't be performing in this country under the current conditions that they're running in. I mean, why Which not? I think shouldn't, we shouldn't lose sight. We shouldn't lose sight of no matter how good or bad we think a show is. Yeah, uh, that still needs to be said. And I'm glad how much did you it. donate to uh, Sammy's charity? I was going to donate. He hasn't. Um, he, he hasn't, hasn't started a new campaign. Yeah, he hasn't started the new campaign ah. yet. So as soon as he does that, I will do that because otherwise I'm, I will feel hideous for watching this show for the rest of my days. Wasn't he supposed to have done that during the show? Like, like as soon he... as the show started. Yeah, and he said for some reason it had to be delayed, uh, which for... I, I wonder might have been some reason. Some, some... <laughs> yes, maybe Vince getting in his ear saying, "Yeah, maybe wait until a little while after the show." Oh uh, yeah. Otherwise, we'll I'll get my uh, buddy Donald to bomb Syria again. <laughs> all right so we have attacked america we've attacked saudi arabia the world is still on fire guys no matter how good or bad wrestling is well 106 degrees it makes sense if it's on fire. <laughs> why not like uh set up the commentary table in a different area like they don't need to be ringside why not put them in a spot where they can be shaded it's not like they don't do that on monday night raw you know because as you always learn to, you always have to come back to, Vince doesn't give a fuck about anybody. Hmm. It's so. just a shame because they could have been given like a box and they could have yeah. just been out of the mix there and they could have brought the coal mine back. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. You think Although the coal I think, mine had everything? Well, I think it like actually like a glass box refracting all that heat into the. <laughs> yeah. Wouldn't have been the best idea. Less air circulation and stuff. Unless they would yeah. pump in like. Uh, you know, like have a little AC system or something like that. We're giving we're giving this far too much credit. <laughs> this is it could have been just a like tent coverage kind of canopy thing. Like, I think we also have to add into this when we talk about just like the overall design and the aesthetic side of things. Like anything that's outside of the actual just booking or ring work. These open air stadiums, it's so difficult as a television viewer to really gauge how hot the crowd is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, uh, I mean, we'll talk about the crowd at different points, but for instance, like, the Strowman match didn't seem like they were really reacting all that much. Well, that's that's a different case. I think that match just sucked. Uh, I actually, the crowd was a highlight for me. I thought, first of all, not putting the dignitaries in big $500,000 sofas in the front row and just kind of letting it more so be about the fans did wonders to this presentation. This was the most regular pay-per-view feel that I've had from any of these three. Yeah, that's true. You know, what was an odd thing that happened here. I don't know if this has happened before, but if it is, then I guess it's just doesn't get as much credit as I thought that it would, but they showed for their whole promotion for stomping ground. They showed the two women's matches. And the crowd popped huge for both of those matches. Which that, to me, was one of the better moments of the night. 
that's a very positive indication this that this crowd is ready to see women's wrestling and they are willing to embrace it and actually want to see these like it it's clear that a lot of these people are big wwe fans and they watch the current product yeah and they yeah. watch the women's matches and they want to see the women's matches and i think when we talk about saudi arabia it is a awfully disgusting environment but that is from the top down yeah i mean politics are that type of thing politics is one of the hardest things you could possibly ever discuss with anybody because it's like everybody's going to be offended about everything same with religion same with anything that it's like you your beliefs are revolving around something but i think the one thing for every government is as bad as people are the people in charge are the ones that are holding the responsibilities and look at what's going on in America. Like individual people are horrible people. That's the whole thing. But then again, when you've got individual people that are representative of a particular mindset and they are in control of a country's point of view, it makes you look bad. So that's why like, America looks really bad at certain moments and that's why people still make fun of Germany and they still do the whole like a bunch of Nazi things and stuff. And that's why like a bunch of people can't separate that when it comes to any country. I mean, people say like, oh, the French, they're all like, you know, whatever. It's just like it's the same thing for everything. So the crowd itself, any of the criticism when it comes to a lot of the things with these types of events, it's really cool to see like the little video package that they had of like the little kids and they're like real hyped, real hyped about that. And you can see throughout the night, various points of this, the crowd was like beyond happy at certain things. They they were really excited to see all the matches and it kind of made me feel bad as someone who gets this stuff like pretty freely. I mean, it's just case like, it makes you feel like you're taking all this stuff for granted, not giving WWE any sort of credit for the shit they do and to like the creative decisions they clearly make their product worse but it does make you feel like are these guys just happy that they're they're even there and performing why can't I feel like that well because if you don't uh, get it that often then it makes it all that more special you know Uh, Mansoor in an interview talked about not always getting the TV show over there but always getting the video games and I can speak to that in the 2K games online, there's a lot of Saudi Arabian players, and they love their Roman Reigns, they love their John Cena's, they love Randy and CM Punk, as we did here. When Shane said best in the world, the crowd started chanting CM Punk. Mm-hmm. They were familiar with the product. And that's really cool to see that that stretches over to the women. And yeah. that pop that they got for that is like, that was one of my favorite parts of the night, which is really strange to say because it was just a quick graphic of, hey, we're going to have a, a Lacey Evans and Becky Lynch match and we're going to have Alexa and Bailey. And it was like, that got a better reaction than anything, which I hope people are paying attention and that that means the next time around we actually get a women's match. Well, we know but- that Alexa and Natty were there and they didn't do a match, but they got to meet kind of like make a wish but over there they went to hospitals and visited little girls so they're they're getting there you know but as we said earlier it's the people at the top that are deciding it and if the uh 
reported to be believed that they WWE were essentially pushing the entire day with the Saudi government to try and get an Alexa versus Natalia match to happen on the card. And they outright refused to do it. So it's the people on top mm-hmm. that say that we can't have women performing in the ring because For women are second because women are second class citizens. It's like it's it's their equivalent of thinking like in America saying we've got to have two bears wrestling in the ring because that's it. I'm mean, not so much like inhumane or saying along those lines, but it's like these are two second class citizens. We can't have them in the ring with each other. So I don't know why this popped into my mind. Well, I know why it popped into my mind because you said bears, but uh, this is a totally random aside. It has nothing to do with Super Showdown, but I just kind of wanted to talk about it because why not? It's fun. Did you guys ever see that thing where Kobayashi, the hot dog eating guy, was trying to out eat a bear? <laughs> no, 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 no. I don't think that's ever. I mean, to be fair, like it should really come up in YouTube feeds more often. It really should because that was amazing. It was like I think the second glutton bowl or something like that. Uh, just one of those great moments. For some reason, when he said Kobayashi, I'm like, is Tony about to drop some Japanese wrestling knowledge on us? <laughs> no, I'm gonna drop a cup of coffee. If anybody oh, gets anybody gets that reference, that'll be amazing. Uh. Yeah, so the women thing, we didn't get a women's match, which that's a, a downer for sure. Um, I liked that tweet. That I forget who it was. Somebody tweeted it or whatever you guys had showed me. But the thing of like, hey, they snuck the women in there and Finn Balor's entrance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought that, that was, was pretty uh, funny. Ross Berman of ProWrestling.com and WrestleZone tweeted that out because, yeah, <laughs> that's probably what they did. I would not be surprised if you learned like later on. Yeah, they were partially in the Finn Balor engines. That's the kind of thing that I would do and that that's such a like a salty thing, but I like that kind of stuff. I would have preferred it if one of them was playing Sinkara. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah, so we had the whole kickoff. I, I had said before the USS and the Revival should tie somehow into the Roman Reigns thing. It didn't. It just ended up being a match. The USS won by pinfall. Completely skippable. And it's a shame because those two tag teams are much better than that. But that led into the first match of the official card, which was Seth Rollins defending the uh, United States. I always want to call it the United States. The Universal Championship against Baron Corbin. And there had been a report ahead of time from WrestleVotes that this was going to go on first and that Brock Lesnar was going to cash in. It was going to be a DQ and Rollins was going to retain. So I was really looking at that as like, oh, thank God, it looks like that's going to happen, and this is going to be amazing, and I'm really happy, and I'm really excited. And we get this whole match with Corbin, and it ends in a really kind of strange way. It's uh, Corbin starts ref- uh, arguing with referee John Cone, and Seth Rollins uh, rolls him up, he gets the schoolboy victory that way, and afterward, uh, Corbin lays him out with the end of days, and I'm thinking, okay, well, the match wasn't really all that interesting, but hey, at least they're going to do this thing. And Brock Lesnar comes out and gets low blowed, and Rollins starts beating him down with a chair. And I'm like, they didn't ring the fucking bell. And then it dawns on me, and I'm like, oh, they're dragging us out more. And I have to admit, my whole perspective of this whole event just went to shit. From Whoa. that point on, I was not invested in 
pretty much anything. I found it hard to watch the next one, two, three, four, five, six matches. I found it really a struggle. I started writing up all this, like, the low points and all the other kind of stuff. I was like, I guess I'm going to go take a bathroom break here and there. I really just, it completely drained my energy and annoyed the hell out of me. First things first, credits Baron Corbin for wrestling in stupid corporate casual in 106 degree weather. I am not in the slightest excited about Baron Corbin feuds with the WWE officials. I don't want to see that. That can be done really well if it's like Triple H and Earl Hebner or something of that regard. But Baron Corbin feuding with referee John Cohen or just referees in general is not something that... I'm excited about going forward. Not even the if it's le- uh, Slater? Um, <laughs> only if it leads to Nicholas being on summer break and defending his father's honor. <laughs> uh, in terms of the Lesnar thing, I thought Heyman slipping was a, was a botch. I didn't realize for a second that that was actually the setup for, oh wait, that distracted Lesnar. Rollins going to punch him in the dick and Beat the crap out of him. I like the angle, with the exception of I know that they're just dragging out the Lesnar thing, but I really did like the angle, and I like that they're allowing Seth Rollins and Brock Lesnar to just have a rivalry. You know, nobody else since Roman has gotten that, and I'm glad that Rollins is getting to beat up Brock Lesnar, even if it's with a chair. As who's... far as, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was gonna say, who's uh the one backstage that in the past two years has been like, I know what'll be a, uh the linchpin for this rivalry, low blows. Specifically at... with Lesnar. Well, it's been Lesnar. It's been the AJ Styles, Shinsuke Nakamura stuff. Like, there's been a lot of things where it's basically just like low blows. It's the feud. So was it like four or five years ago that Austin was like, why did Cesaro tell me low, low blows are banned? And I guess somebody decided to unban them and make them the catalyst for major feuds of, hey, how do you get a guy down? Well, I just kick him in the nuts. <laughs> and it's I texted you guys this. I'm like, Lesnar needs to wear a cup or something. And that would get a huge pop for me if it's like somebody tries to hit him and it doesn't work because he's got a cup. And then you because, got the close-up of him doing that laugh. Yeah. Because how many times are you going to hit this guy in the nuts? Even better if he's wearing, like, the chastity belt from Men in Tights and it actually hurts the person because it's solid steel. <laughs> ah. What did you think, Helm? Uh, The match was boring. Every cool match is. Uh, I think... I mean, it's just... I don't know what it is about Corbin. Because Corbin technically is not bad in the ring. He's actually gone a lot better in the past year. But it's just every time I watch him, it's just a case of I don't care what you're doing and anything you do, anything you say, I just don't want you there. And I'd rather it was anybody else at that point. And it's just, it must just be down to a load of overexposure. The fact that, and it's not even the fact that, like, because everyone's on the show every week and there's other people that I'd still want to have in the main event scene. It's just the fact that he's always been in and around the main event scene for too long whether it's like as the acting general manager or Kurt Angle's assistant or as a constable, then you have a 
like now as a main event heel. It's like go away for a little bit, go away for a couple of months and come back, and then we'll see what what it is. But it's just a case of he just doesn't do anything for anybody. It feels because as soon as he was on the offense of this match, the crowd just completely died. Well, do you think that this is kind of something that we had talked about before? Uh, X Pac Heat. You think that it's sort of just well, changed over to Baron Corbin Heat? Well, yeah. I think I think it's just a case of he's got the same heat that the Forgotten Sons have got. Only in NXT, they use the heat the Forgotten Sons have to try and tease the audience thinking that, oh, he's never going to actually win. They're never actually going to win the big one or anything like that. We'll just use that because we know that you don't actually like these guys. And not because we've booked them really well as heels. It's because you just genuinely don't care about them. Whereas Vince sees that's kind of heat and thinks, well, this guy's the best heel we've got. And he's going to push him to that to that effect. I don't think he'll actually end up winning the Universal Championship when he gets his another opportunity, but he's still getting these like big matches out of it, and that's not that's not the position he should be in right now. Other things I want to note from this match, specifically the beginning, Rollins' gear looked cool. Burn it down looks so much cooler with fire pyro. That oh, was, we, like, we gotta talk a... pyro. What a cool thing to do, right? Burn it down and flames shoot up from the stage. Even Corbin had like smoke or haze and it looked better. It made the presentation so much better. That is the one thing that as much as they kept saying this is going to be the equivalent or exceed WrestleMania, this is the one thing that I felt actually came off as being WrestleMania-like. And it's so much better to see like this big stage and the pyro and the entrances that were amped up quite a bit compared to what it normally would be. And that was one of my major highlights of the night. If not, actually, I mean, my favorite part of the whole night was an entrance and we'll talk about that later, but that was so much better. I think in regards to the cash in, this makes both Lesnar and Heyman look like absolute bumbling fools. (laughs) Yeah, it does. Because it's, I mean, there's, there's two, areas of it it's a mixture of the fact that Rollins well Lesnar uh, Heyman should I say falls over while trying to get into the ring so he looks like an idiot immediately Lesnar looks like an idiot because he decides to stare at the briefcase rather than try and deal with Rollins immediately they look like double idiots because uh, Lesnar could have beaten Rollins for the title on Raw and chose not to do it because he was waiting specifically for this night to do it and completely fucked it up yeah and completely fucked it up in the process because Rollins just low blowed him and beat him to death with a chair before curb stomping him into his own briefcase. And then Lesnar didn't even have the guts or the nerve to try and interfere in the Kofi Kingston match later on in the night to interfere, to try and cash in at that point. It's just, it just makes him look like a complete dick. It look, makes him look like he doesn't know what he's doing, really. Well, do you guys believe the thing that I believe, which is that they did this first because Brock wanted to get on a plane and leave immediately? <laughs> Uh, I, I didn't him. even think about that, but yeah, I don't blame him in that regard. Look at what happened just... at WrestleMania. That's what the report was. I mean, that went on first, so that way he could leave. Like, It does not shock me at all if that's the case. And if we see some kind of news reports about that, hey, you heard it here first. <laughs> it makes Rollins look like a weaker champion because he continuously opens these shows. Like, WrestleMania, he's the Royal Rumble winner. 
fighting the biggest box office draw supposedly that the company has and he's opening the show same thing here when you knew that Lesnar could have been a draw for the night and yeah but Lesnar does what he wants to do I have to agree with Callum I didn't even think about that they really do look like jackasses both of them (laughs) mostly because apparently Brock Lesnar if he's not just killing everybody he looks like an idiot because last time he wasn't running through everybody he couldn't even stand on his own two feet in the ring with Goldberg at any point in time it's like that again except Rollins is actually outsmarting him and not outpowering him I'm just annoyed that this didn't just throw the money in the bank away and now they're going to keep dragging this out and yeah and now he's dragged out with a guy who looks worse than he did coming into the show like well, I know they've protected Lesnar well enough anyway throughout the years, but he looks like he now looks worse than he was going into it. Yeah, and for what though? That's the thing. Like I, kn- I know that part of the philosophy that's going on in WWE right now is this is an interesting thing, at least to them. Like it might not be to anybody else, it might not be to certain people, it might frustrate the hell out of me. But somebody, Vince McMahon, and or other people, because it could be like Kevin Dunn, it could be Triple H even, it could be whatever. Some people think this is an interesting thing to keep saying, what if he cashes in? Oh, look at that. He didn't, but try to tune in next week and stuff. And I'm really curious to see if there's anybody that is trying to make the argument of, yeah, but we've done this enough times by now that we can see that the ratings aren't really reflecting that. And it's kind of like, well... We've already had three years, four years, or whatever worth of this Brock Lesnar thing anyway, so once we eventually pull the trigger, it's not going to be a good idea, and the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results, and trying to at least make that argument, or if everybody's just going, oh, that's great, Brock Lesnar cashing in and not cashing in, that's going to be something to tune him in the next time, and let's have Stephanie McMahon cut a promo about how she doesn't like what's going on and that she's going to address it on Monday Night Raw just for us to change our minds again and whatever. And it really like, I hate to harp on this again, but it's like, what happened with that continuity script supervisor job? <laughs> like, uh, it just it bugs me so much. I don't think it's something that people aren't saying. I'm sure there are quite a few writers who are at least trying to say, hey, let's not do this, let's do something else. But at the end of the day, Vince knows that it's Brock's the biggest draw, or at least he feels that way in his mind. And, yeah. It just annoys me. And that I said it before during this, that killed this pay-per-view for me. And I feel like since that didn't end up happening and everything, if I were to go back and rewatch the matches that I wasn't into, I probably would enjoy them more. But I, I mean, for instance, the very next match was the Intercontinental Championship match. It was Finn Balor in the whole demon shtick against Andrade, and I barely watched it. So I don't know if it was good or not. Was it? I, <laughs> I think this is one of those matches where if it was in front of a different crowd and Balor wasn't in the demon pain, this would have been a, a, a four-star match, I'd say. I think they did a lot of good stuff. There was, but I think it dragged a little bit because I think they were trying to go a, a bit longer than it should have gone. Maybe it went about three to four minutes too long. But the stuff like the um, 
uh, Impaler DDT off the top rope was really cool. Uh, Andrade like doing the back elbows and Balor trying to withstand it and like get back up from it was really cool. Uh, but yeah, just in case like I don't think the crowd was super into it after what previously happened. And the fact that Balor was wearing demon face paint made the end result too predictable. Mm-hmm. And it's, again, it's one of the things that I harp on about so much and I know that a lot of people agree with me in this regard. Just a case of, they talk about on commentary saying the demon face paint is about intimidation, it's about getting mind games, about it gives Balor an edge against his opponents. And then you, the question that always is asked is, why doesn't he wear the face paint every match then? Or why do you not get to see that in the matches? Yeah. Like, with Undertaker matches, you see people do things like when he sits up, people go like, oh, shit. And they like they back away and they get scared and everything. And you don't really get to see that much in the Finn Balor matches, even when he's in the demon paint. I mean, all it needs is just Finn Balor to have one promo or one sentence even, just saying an explanation. Even if that explanation is, I don't want to be... I'm comfortable in my own skin and i want to prove that i can win matches in my own skin but sometimes i know that i need to bring the demon out to try and give myself like that new that next level of like a mental edge or like trying to expose the fragility of my opponents something to that effect but he doesn't there's never been an explanation and that's one of the biggest issues in all of wwe's writing is that they do things for the sake of doing them and they don't tell us why they're doing them they'd have to hit us over the head with it but they could just allude to it a little bit it would even be a decent means to say something like it takes a lot out of him. Mm, like, exa- yeah, you exactly. know, kind of like, well, when I let that inner part of me, I, I always try to fight that part of me. And sometimes I just have to let it out. And when I let it out, it's really exhausting because it's kind of like pushing down all your fears and letting them bubble up to the surface and but like i mean yeah. you can or turn it, that into a whole like psychological examination type yeah. thing and people would identify with that because there's a lot of people that have like road rage and shit you know like yeah. yeah if i let that sort of anger and frustration out for too long then it starts to impact my personal life and things like that it's like it starts affecting the people that i actually care about around me because i can't come mm-hmm. back to just being who i am it's hard for me to snap out of the demon once i get into that mindset yeah just that, just yeah, just a segment where he does that, or a video package where he just talks about that would be perfect. And then I'd be totally happy with the demon character from that point forward. Totally then, on board with it. Like uh, Rob had suggested about Andrade uh, pulling on the La Sombra mask. Like, imagine how great of a little twist that that would be for him to be like. You think you're the only one that's got like a you know these this other mode that they can turn themselves into well look at my mask this is whatever and once i put this on i i bring on this kind of mentality and i'm gonna beat your ass at stomping grounds because i'm assuming that this is just gonna be a rematch at stomping grounds yeah and it's gonna be two out of three falls but you can't be the demon because you need to be the man like i I'm just imagining now that he's like, like the little kid at a playground. He's yeah. like, but you can't be the demon because I called no demons. Yeah, like, uh, okay, we're gonna go again in Mortal Kombat, but you cannot pick Liu Kang. All right, like, right. Well, hey, well, you can't do well, freezing this... uppercut as Sub Zero. That's not fair. I called no freezing, no odd job. Like, you know, I'm well, tagging the, the base. Yeah, the difference for the Stomping Grounds one is that he'll have Selena Vega in his corner. 
Yeah. yeah, and that way she'll help him win, and then he'll win the title, and they'll just be like, well, fuck it, like, you know, we'll just have him wait. We talked about this in the pre- uh, predictions preview thing. It's just like, well, let's just do the match, and then we can do the other match, uh, a rematch, two weeks later. We'll have the title change then, and if you don't like it, fuck you. That kind of thing. I, w- I would say that, at the very least this demon entrance was a step up from a lot of the most recent ones that he's had on the WWE roster. Very yeah. much so. The demon was... entrances that they've normally been doing are quite literally put you in face paint, maybe give you like a red filter and that's it. Yeah. Whereas this one, it had like the full shebang of like, like other little demons surrounding Bala when he just rises up from the stage wearing a giant robe crawls down to the ring he does his thing where he grabs the title which is laying down on the ramp and he picks it up like Gollum picks up the ring but that was that's a cool entrance yeah that was actually one of my highlights of the night it'd probably go down as one of the better entrances of the year because I didn't see any real entrances that stood out this year at Wrestlemania I had a couple written down but this and this and one other throughout the night ended up being my list of like all right, these are very much candidates to be the best entrance of the year. I didn't yeah. talk too much about the match because Callum nailed it the entire time. I'm thinking, boy, if they were just in California, this fucking match would be super hot and one of the best matches on the show. I thought that DDT from the top rope looked fantastic. I don't know why he chose to break that out the first time here. And... Yeah, great match, wrong crowd, but at least the crowd was super into the demon, which is what they needed to do. So I can't call it a miss, but it's definitely not a hit. Hmm. Uh, after that, we had Roman Reigns against Shane McMahon, and uh, Shane McMahon won that by pinfall after a Claymore kick from Drew McIntyre, which... I wrote this up on the the Bleacher article, and I'm just going to echo it in shorter form. It's very annoying to me when I can look back on many, many months of programming and see that everything was essentially booked with this philosophy of, yeah, but it's going to lead somewhere. And then you start seeing that it's not leading anywhere. Because Shane McMahon won the World Cup tournament, and it was stupid. But... Everything was, oh, hold on, it's going gonna, it's gonna to lead somewhere. Don't worry about it. We'll, we'll piggyback off of this on Survivor Series. And then Survivor Series went down, and it was awful. And it was like, oh, well, that sucked, but don't worry. We're doing this because it's going to go somewhere. And they promptly said, that doesn't fucking matter. We're just going to ignore it. And then we did the whole thing with The Miz. And they did the tag titles. And the tag titles, winning them was like, yeah, but this is going to lead somewhere. Don't worry. It's going to lead to WrestleMania. And then once we did the whole thing with WrestleMania, then Shane McMahon won, and it was like, yeah, but it's going to lead somewhere. And it led to the Steel Cage match, and Shane McMahon won, and it's like, yeah, but it's going to lead until Roman Reigns. And now that Roman Reigns lost this one, then it's like, yeah, but it's all to lead up to Drew McIntyre. So you mean to tell me that they're fucking in November, and they're booking this World Cup tournament, and this is a two-prong process. Uh, It's one direction or the other thing. Either... They planned that this is where they would end up going, which all this was all supposed to just set up Roman Reigns versus Drew McIntyre at stomping grounds in a meaningless match. In which case, who the fuck planned that? That's awful. Or number two, the most likely option, they didn't plan any of this out 
and they just keep changing it. And when you keep changing things and you build it on this idea that the next thing is going to be where this is leading to and the next thing is whatever, you become the boy who cried wolf. And there are so many TV shows. And you would think that the people that are hired based off of their TV knowledge of like having worked on different shows, that they would understand this. How many TV shows have gone down over the past decade or so since something like Lost where they built up this idea of we're leading to something, but we're going to keep changing it on the fly. And once we get to our finale, everybody goes, well, that was stupid and I wasted all that time. You can't do that. If you want to build up to something, you have to have a plan and you have to follow through with it. And if it ends up being bad, at least you followed through with your plan. You know what? The equated TV shows, that's why... I was actually surprised at how good the Big Bang Theory's end was. Because at least it made sense. And I know you, Tony, and I know you well enough to know that you don't think for a second that in November they thought that even what they did at the Royal Rumble was a plan. Not at all. That's why I was like, if they try to say, well, we were all working towards this big plan, it's like, well, your plan sucked. But it's obvious that this wasn't the big plan. And that means if you keep changing things on the fly, you have to change it for the better. You can't just change it for the sake of changing it. And this whole Shane McMahon thing is like, okay, well, the big buildup was all this and you keep doing all these things because you want Roman Reigns to be Drew McIntyre. No, that's not good. That's not worth it. Didn't we just have a podcast with Bruce Pritchard talking about the idea that they had set up this whole thing with Shane McMahon, or not Shane McMahon, with um, Triple H and The Rock? And that he beat Sting because it wanted to make it better for The Rock, and then it didn't work. Don't you learn your lessons? Ever? <laughs> then again, we're looking at Brock Lesnar, so no. I think that if, depending on when the next Saudi show is, Shane McMahon's getting a world title match at that Saudi show. Because they're going to now try to build up this thing of, well, this is where he became the best in the world. And he defeated Roman Reigns here. Nobody defeats Roman Reigns. Roman Reigns defeated cancer. Shane McMahon defeated Roman Reigns. You know why? Because leukemia is good, but it's not the best in the world. And it's just like, I don't understand why in 2019 we're talking about Shane McMahon, who, by the way, has wrestled on every pay-per-view this year. Why? Has he really? Wow. Yeah, Money in the Bank, WrestleMania. Elimination Chamber, Elimination Fast Chamber, Fastlane. Wow. Oh. It's just like, it's for what? Like, what? where is this going? Is this because you cut a promo a couple months ago about how the authority wasn't going to be a, a heel faction thing anymore and you decided that one of your 15 ideas that you've abandoned was that and that you really desperately need at least one heel McMahon at all times? Like, well, well, no, the the obvious answer is that the ratings are tanking and the only thing that Vince knows that he can rely on to improve the ratings is to involve his family. Cause that's what he, cause that's, cause that's what he believes was driving force behind the huge ratings in the Monday Night Wars and any other point in time where WWE's had good ratings. It's because the man's are the best characters in the company. And at sometimes that may have been the case, but it's just a case that they're so overexposed now that it doesn't work anymore. And Shane, I mean, I I I understand your point about them like changing their minds. I think the idea was with him winning the best in the world tournament that it was always going to lead to a match with the Miz at WrestleMania. I believe that was always going to be their plan. 
I just don't think they envisioned at that point in time that Shane would end up winning that feud pretty comprehensively and then move on to beating Roman Reigns as well. And it's just a case of, like, Roman hasn't lost a match, hasn't lost a singles match since July when he lost to Bobby Lashley at uh, Extreme Rules or whatever it was. And that, yes, that's his last loss. And his next loss is against Shane McMahon. And it's just, I know how they've booked Shane and he's won a title this year and he's been on every pay-per-view and he's barely even lost any of the matches that he's had on pay-per-view. But you still, it's still in your mind that this is Shane McMahon. Mm-hmm. He shouldn't be beating Roman Reigns, even if he has Drew McIntyre helping him to win it. Because sh- you know that Roman Reigns is going to face Drew McIntyre at Stomping Grounds and Roman Reigns is going to beat Drew McIntyre. That's it's the gonna... big issue that yeah. I have with it. Is It's and like, the... this is leading up to Drew McIntyre taking the pin? Why? He's the one you should be actually building. Yeah. He's the that one was... that you could protect out of the bunch. Have Shane uh, lose. You know. I mean, that, that was the hilarious thing about the entire situation. It was like... Uh, Corey Graves was talking about when Drew McIntyre was coming out to the ring that, oh, Drew McIntyre knows how to get ahead in life. He sides himself with the members of the authority and stuff like that. And I just thought, has Drew McIntyre had a singles championship match since he joined the main roster? Has he had a single important win? He's he's won the tag team championships. That's it. Like, has he actually done anything? I mean, the, the biggest wins he's had are Dean Ambrose on his way out. And that, like, that was one of those written-in-the-stone types of things anyway. Like, McIntyre didn't win the Royal Rumble. He didn't win anything, uh, like, a championship. He hasn't won any kind of, like, number one contender-type matches to put him in a really strong spot. Like, he... McIntyre's been this guy that they brought up with the whole Dolph Ziggler thing as, like, ooh, you better watch out. And it's been... A long enough time now that it's like, uh, well, what am I watching out for? He's gone from being a surefire world champion to being in the exact same position he was when he first entered the company, which is Vincent Nance's chosen one and a lackey for the top like authority figures. Do you think that that's because they just, they have to prove themselves right? Almost like the XFL. Like, my idea, my initial idea will get over in the end because fuck you. And typically, I don't even think that pessimistically, but when you look at a guy like Drew McIntyre and how they didn't just pull the trigger with him immediately or why they didn't just pull the trigger with even, we mentioned Lashley beating Roman last year, how he has ended up being nothing special. What is it with these talents? You have such a stacked roster. I don't understand why Shane McMahon just beat the equivalent of John Cena. I haven't seen a match this stupidly ended since Laurinaitis beat Cena, and that went nowhere as well, you know? It's just a bothersome situation because it's like, again, like, imagine you go back in time to November and they're sitting around the writer's room and they're like, Let's book this World Cup tournament. What do we do with it? Well, we want to do Shane McMahon versus The Miz at WrestleMania. How about Shane McMahon does this and we can slowly turn The Miz babyface and we could do a tag team thing, whatever. Imagine going back in time and being like, so the end result of this is going to be that Drew McIntyre loses to Roman Reigns on a a C-level pay-per-view. That's where you guys are leading. And to see if they would go, oh, that sounds great. Or if they would go, oh, that sounds like shit. Why are we doing that? And you can't do it because obviously time travel is not a real thing, or if it is, I'm not aware of it. 
uh, or I guess I'll have always been aware of it. I don't know how that works. Um, it's the type of thing that like, you shouldn't have to go like, well, in hindsight, we fucked up by doing that. Just don't make these mistakes. Now that you know that this is where you are heading, don't do it. Don't book Roman Reigns versus Drew McIntyre at stomping grounds as we can have Shane McMahon win and then that way it can put the heat on Drew McIntyre and then that way we can have Roman Reigns win and then isn't everything well in the world. No, it isn't. Like, there's nothing... Drew McIntyre gets nothing out of losing to Roman Reigns in two weeks. Roman Reigns gets nothing out of beating Drew McIntyre in two weeks because it's Roman Reigns. He doesn't need to beat anybody, but at the same time, you shouldn't put him in a position where he needs to get a win back. And giving Shane McMahon all this buzz for nine months has served no purpose. So we spent nine months for The Miz to look like crap, Shane McMahon to get a big boost, Roman Reigns to take a roundabout way to beat somebody who doesn't need to get beaten. Yay. What the fuck? (laughs) So it's like, that's one of my biggest disappointments of the night was just kind of like, I'd rather have the predictable, stupid, all right, he just beats Shane McMahon and we just move on than to drag things out into worse scenarios. I I genuinely have to ask this question now. Do you think Shane is winning a world championship this year? It wouldn't shock me. I'm telling you, he's going to fight. Now that I know, spoiler everybody, that Kofi is still somehow champion, I think he takes on Kofi. No, it'll be it'll, it'll be Seth he takes on. I don't think he's going to win a world championship, but it would not be not shock me at all if he fights for it. Yeah, he'll fight for it. I'm almost... which, which one do you think he'll fight for, Tony? Universal. Yeah? Yeah. Why? Because Raw? Or just because Seth well, is... Well, because Seth is linked to Roman. And Roman is basically on Monday Night Raw anyway. Yeah, and I think I think Seth would probably be the person that comes up to Shane and says, "You're not the best in the world because I am." That type of thing, and then they'll ha- they'll build the match off that, saying, "Oh, I beat your buddy Roman, and so I could easily beat you as well." And then they'll just I I think that match will happen at SummerSlam. Well, hold yeah. on a minute. Do you think knowing that we have Baron Corbin is feuding with officials is Shane McMahon the special referee for Baron Corbin Seth Rollins at stomping grounds which will then lead to Seth Rollins Shane McMahon at SummerSlam uh, how many more events are in between there's Extreme Rules Extreme Rules nothing else The I think all the rest of them are other ones like uh, the AEW shows obviously and TakeOver and everything else like that right yeah, yeah. So they only need to kill time for July, essentially. And if they do something like that, they could do ugh, they could do another thing where it's like, all right, stomping grounds, maybe he's involved in some kind of ending. And actually, you know what? They might end up doing that at, at Extreme Rules. They might have an Extreme Rules match with Shane as a special guest referee. Something else happens with Baron Corbin and ends up being Corbin versus Rollins three times in a row. Yeah, I can imagine that. Aren't they? And, and I don't want to see it. that kind of stuff too, because it's like, nah. do I want to see Shane McMahon versus Seth Rollins? No, I don't. I'd like to see a '99 Shane versus Seth Rollins, baby. I, I I think Shane is significantly better now, at least in the ring, and that's saying a lot considering how bad he is still. But it would be, I guess, it's another test for Seth Rollins to try and see if he can carry Shane to a very good match. 
but you know it, sh- it shouldn't be happening anyway he should not be in a position where he's fighting the top guys in the company Especially when you've got so many people that you can be depending on to be main event talent. And you're in a scenario where a lot of people feel like they're undervalued and underappreciated and underutilized. Mm -hmm. Like, I bet you if you pull the quote unquote WWE universe, and I'm not talking about just the IWC or the smarks that are on the internet talking about stuff or whatever you want to say. I think if you pull the actual audience as well and you say what would you rather see at SummerSlam would you rather see us build up to a Shane McMahon Seth Rollins thing would you rather see Brock Lesnar cash in money in the bank and have a rematch with Seth Rollins or would you rather see us spend those two months and build up Cesaro and have Cesaro versus Seth Rollins I bet you more people would say Cesaro yeah I think they just want something different at this point Exactly. That's the thing. They want something different and you can't do the same shit over and over and over again and be like, we're giving you something different because on this card we had our truth run around like an idiot or something like, you know what I mean? Like that, you can't dangle a, a set of keys in front of people and change the whole environment. You're just doing whatever that peripheral vision is for that one shot. And mm-hmm. I hate it so much. And this is the type of thing that like I barely watched this match and I hated it and I hate exactly where they're going. And I, I don't want Roman Reigns to win and I don't want Drew McIntyre to win. I just don't want that match now. And that's nothing. That's a fault of Roman Reigns or Drew McIntyre or for that matter, Shane McMahon. What was the bigger botched comeback? Daniel Bryan or Roman Reigns? Uh, Daniel Bryan. Yeah. Daniel Bryan. They could have done a lot more with that one. At least with Roman, at least with Roman, you know that he's going to recover eventually. They're, I don't know, they are really wasting their time with Roman Reigns. And I think that they're hesitant to push him too much because they think that if they do that, they're going to get everybody to turn on him. Yet at the same time, they refuse to not push him. So they're kind of like that person who's like at the pool and doesn't want to jump in yet. So they're just kind of sitting there dipping their toe over and over for 45 minutes. Essentially because they don't think they can give him the world championship just yet. They're trying to, they think that the next best thing is to give him a feud with a man because Mm -hmm. that's essentially in their mind, even bigger than fighting for the world championship. That's why he's on both shows because he's still Roman Reigns. Yeah. Yeah, That's that's the big, that's the biggest botch side of things. It's the idea that he's, he's now getting ridiculously overexposed. Well, my problem with that is they did this already, and this is what I didn't like about the Roman stuff with Lesnar at last year. They crowned him perfectly in 2016, even with the McMahon, but they crapped all over that just to try to rebuild him up again, and now people aren't interested because it doesn't feel as fresh as it did the first time he punched Vince McMahon, who was a special referee in his match with Sheamus, and, you know, beat Triple H at WrestleMania. They crowned him already. Why did they keep going back to the drawing board? Roman should have been the guy. Well, the argument is that Roman should never have been the guy because the fans didn't want him as the guy. No, the fans wanted him as the guy. They just got pissed because they realized, oh, shit, they're about to give him the shoving him down our throat treatment. But they wanted him as the guy. The fans wanted the Roman Reigns that was in the Shield as the guy. Yeah, and then they, they didn't want him... the Roman Reigns that that WWE wanted as they the guy. They made him John Cena two point oh. 
Right. And WWE fucked up Roman Reigns. That made Roman Reigns have to carry that guilt on his, not that guilt, but uh, that pressure on his shoulders. They didn't want to do anything for the longest time other than say, we are right, you are wrong, deal with it. So everybody fought back because that's what happens when you give people that kind of thing. It's irresistible force meets the movable object. It's that's the same thing of just being like, we are stubborn. Screw you. And then the fans go, well, we're stubborn as well. Screw you. And then nobody wins. And then you wait long enough. And then it takes the leukemia announcement to turn things around. And you then know. you don't even capitalize. It's just because I think. Romans is is in a very terrible situation right now in the case of he needs a real shift in his character to really like progress not such progress but at least like change his trajectory a little bit yeah but but the thing is they can't turn him heel because he just recovered from cancer (laughs) they could but people say oh my god they've turned the cancer survivor heel but then again, the guy who is like Daniel Bryan is a heel is a pro-environmentalist, which is trying to tell us how we're destroying the planet, and he's the bad guy. So it's it's the micromanagement of what the current era is. Because if this were thirty years ago, then it would be a different story. Yeah, true. Roman Reigns would be able to be himself, and he would figure out a way to get over. And mm-hmm. that's what happened with Steve Austin, and that's what happened with Shawn Michaels, and it's what happened with Bret Hart. Because Bret Hart is a completely different character than. Steve Austin, and yet they were both super popular. And for whatever reason, there was a real bond with the Shield guys, and we talked about it in February. They could have been gone for two weeks, but the minute they put the fists in, place blows because you feel that, like, ah, oh, this is real. Now Roman's going to be a real badass, and there's just something about that. And they need to find that magic with Roman as an mm. individual. And I guarantee you him beating Drew McIntyre again, just like he did in a random pointless match at WrestleMania, him beating him at Stomping Grounds is not going to find that magic again. And it's going to be like, well, we did all the Shane McMahon stuff just for The Miz to look bad, McMahon to look good for no reason, McIntyre to look bad, and Roman Reigns to be lateral. Mm. I just don't want them to hold it off and drag it out all the way until the Royal Rumble, where they feel like, yeah, well, it's the road to WrestleMania, and the big dog is ready to take his top spot back. It'll happen. Because that's too long. It's going to happen, and it's going to be against Brock Lesnar. Yay. It's going to happen. Like, just, yeah. Well, speaking about inevitabilities, the handicap match between Lars Sullivan and Lucha House Party, guess what? Lucha House Party ended up beat to shit. Now, it's kind of funny that they would decided to go with a disqualification and then Lars Sullivan beats them all down instead of just like a pinfall, but there was no re- no need to watch this. Could I, could I, this must be the greatest atrocity that's ever befallen Saudi Arabia. <laughs> like the greatest <laughs> atrocity that's ever occurred within Saudi Arabia. None, obviously. But, like, this was his first match, and I know people were talking about him, he were already down on Lars Sullivan saying that, oh, he's going to be another Vladimir Kozlov. They didn't give him a chance with this match. He doesn't. He doesn't stand a chance. He is dead on arrival. I knew he was dead on arrival as soon as he entered the ring, and I saw he had the word Lars on the back of his trunks. <laughs> it's like, oh wow, that's your name. It's like he, he didn't. He didn't have those words on the back of his trunks in NXT, did he? I'm not nope, imagining nope, it. Nope. He just had red trunks. It's just yep. like, why do you need to have your fucking branding on there? Like what? 
Because well, that way, when a month from now, Vince McMahon doesn't like the name Lars Sullivan and wants him to just be Lars, that he's got it on his ass. <laughs> it's going to happen. He's going have, to be Lars. But the main roster, and I don't know if it's the writers or Vince, whatever, they have to touch something because otherwise they didn't create it. Well, don't let him touch that. Don't touch his ass. His ass is fine. <laughs> but the case like, like this match is just an absolute atrocity in every stretch of the imagination. He, Lars Sullivan is busted open early in the match. He's bleeding from the mouth, which makes him look weak because he got busted open by a bunch of like tiny Mexican wrestlers. He has to sell for them as well during this match when this match should realistically, if any booker with half a brain cell was in charge of this thing they would know that what you have to do is Lars Sullivan just destroys them after three minutes gets a pinfall and that's the start of him's like build up to being this huge monster heel but no his first match in he's selling for three people that are half his size and Um, let's be honest I mean that whole complete decimation thing is still just blah because it's just Okay, we yeah, get it. He's the guy that you're pushing. Can we just yeah, move on to the part that, where you're actually like doing it? Like I do, I do get that point. But that was what happened. That's how they built up Braun Strowman as well. Right. If and, they do it in a fun way, it's a different story. Like Ryback doing that kind of stuff was super fun. Yeah, and you could have made this fun as well. Like just had them flying around, Lars Sullivan always catching them, maybe throwing like powerbombing one of them onto the outside, onto two of them, or something like that. You could have made this an interesting squash. But what you do is, and 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 it's the Pièce de Résistance. You have all three Lucha House Party members gang up on Lars Sullivan, beating down and get themselves disqualified. And then they and then they walk away, having got disqualified, acting like they've won the match. And Lars Sullivan comes back and destroys them. It's just cases like, yeah, but the dam. Okay, they destroyed him afterwards, but the damage is already done. He didn't even get to pin one of these guys. He doesn't look good coming out of this. No, and the. Like more so than when he was going into it, they don't look any better out of it. And okay. if they would have gone down any other way, it still wouldn't have been useful. Like okay. this, this was a no-win situation. What was the what was the mindset of protecting the Lucha House Party from taking a pinfall in this match? It wouldn't but shock it, me at all if it was just to do it again. But it's yeah, they'll real, do it on Raw. Guys. Yeah, mm-hmm. they'll do it but on Raw. But it's real. They're mad that. He attacked them, so they're going to use their numbers advantage. They don't care about getting disqualified because they have pride. It's real, is what I imagine the defense is here. Also, the, there's the obvious annoyance of the fact that it's free raw superstars taking on a SmackDown superstar. But I guess like no. the the Wildcard rules have ruined everything with that card. But I'll, I'll always bring that stuff up just because it's so fucking stupid. It's fucking ridiculous. Yeah, the wild card rule was ruined the very first time that they mentioned that it was a rule because it was three people no four out of the five people but the one person doesn't count and then a week later it became 10 people it was just like it's just hey we're having the raw super show again also yeah. speaking of, also speaking of stupid rules how did our truth get onto the plane but not get into any sort of actual match that was going on in this your guess is as good as anybody else's on the internet because i mean my guess because is, he didn't fly over there yeah yeah my guess is that they they just had him on the plane in the mm-hmm. process of it and they just filmed it while the plane was still stationary on the tarmac and then he got off because he can't fly, actually fly over to saudi arabia a hundred percent yep that's exactly what it was and that's yeah. another negative for this was Which they got- couldn't have just had somebody else be the champion because i i get the point is like we're making this like the R-Truth thing. But 
I mean, what's going to hurt them from having somebody else? Like, Jinder Mahal could have been the champion. And, and lost it during this match somewhere. He could have lost it to somebody else, and then somebody else could have won it at another point or whatever like that. And then on Monday, R-Truth could have won it back. Mm. If he just wanted to give it back to R-Truth. Like, could have won it back you know? over the weekend. Just Hell, shoot a video for social media. You could have made it a, a like full circle type thing where they show them landing. And it's like maybe Jinder Mahal is still the champion or something like that. And Jinder Mahal's getting like he's leaving the airplane and our truth is waiting on the tarmac and he attacks him and he wins the title. It could have been that. I want to add to that by saying our truth is in the exact same position that Jinder left him in because he just laid there for a day or two. Even yeah. fucking better. Like you just make it goofy and you just have him do that. Then it's like, okay, he waited that whole time and. You could even like, you know, lampshade it by having Carmella be like, you were here the whole time. And he could just be like, yeah, I really got to pee or like that kind of thing where he'd be like, you waited here for like two and a half days and you just kind of, you know, like, what the hell, yeah. R-Truth? And it's like, well, because he's a goofy character and like, yeah, but uh, I mean, it's better than nothing. They at least did that. So it's kind of like a, a poor man's attempt to be like, look, we're doing something with the 24-7 title. But, you know. Yeah. Uh, but back to Lars. You guys compared him to Ryback and Braun. And one of the things that I noticed in those two situations was they brought back jobbers and they both used just local jobber talent to make it even funnier because here are these nobodies. So you're not killing your roster who are running away screaming from Braun Strowman and Ryback. But here you it's the Lucha House Party. So you got to beat Lars down because you can't shit on your entire cruiserweight roster, you know? Well, I mean, is it that hard to just try something a little bit different once in a while by doing this? I just thought of this one. You were saying it. So this is why I'm like, this is why it's not that hard. You have these jobbers that you don't know fight Lars Sullivan and he beats the living hell out of them so much that every one of them keeps coming back injured. And you have triple H or whoever talk to Lars Sullivan and go, look, dude, like you're really like you're, injuring people and this isn't good and then that's where he can be all like oh that's what i'm trying to do i'm trying to injure everybody and then even a guy like a heath slater can just go up and be like you know we don't like having somebody who's got that kind of mentality on the roster that's like not it's not cool man like you know whatever and then you could beat down fucking heath slater and start something with that and whatever that could have given you five weeks worth of material yeah it's better than advertising him and having him not do anything for four months yeah, it's, better, it's definitely better than having him have his first match in a handicap match where he doesn't even win by pin four submission, where he has to, where he wins by being beaten up too much by the other opponent, by his opponents. Well, this is the same company win. that gave Ryback the loss at WrestleMania, then said, "But he'll hit him move afterward, and that way it'll mean something, and then we'll turn him heel because <laughs> he's only the, the best fucking over baby face." Five seconds yeah. ago, he's gonna hit it now. <laughs> but it makes Triple H look like an asshole because. When they were doing the whole Lars Sullivan has stage fright, he, don't worry, Lars is coming and it's going to be badass and it's going to be great. And here we are. Kozlov. Mm. Well, that took us into Triple H versus Randy Orton. Crowd was really, really digging it. Uh, I couldn't really get into it. I was still annoyed because of the whole Brock Lesnar thing. Again, I told you that it ruined everything for the whole night, for essentially for me. Uh. But I'm glad that Orton won. 
I'm glad that the crowd seemed to be really, really into it. Yeah, the crowd, again, loves these guys. They love their Triple H's, Randy Orton's, the guys of that era. I wanted to enjoy this match so bad, but it felt like it was moving in slow motion. It just felt slow and long. And I messaged you guys this. I love Triple H and want him to deliver every time. And then I go, oh, wait, he's 50 and he's had like five injuries. He can't. And then I get sad. Uh, uh, I I, I went into this match knowing that it wasn't going to be that special apparently i'm one of the minority that thinks that because from the reactions that you seem to i checked out on twitter and stuff like that people seem to actually enjoy this match and thought these two excelled and thought that it was the best match of the night and all that stuff and i just watched it going like randy orton's had this headlock on for about four minutes now (laughs) (laughs) and again it's just it's always typical of triple h things this match would have been great I, i mean I don't say great, but it would have been really good if it would have been about 15 minutes. But no, it goes 26. Yeah. Was it the longest match? Of course it, no, it, it well, went no, the so battle long. Royal. I assume the Battle Royal was the longest one. No, I'm uh, pretty sure this went longer than yeah. the Battle Royal. Yeah, okay, this probably was the longest match. But it's just a case of like, why? Why do you, what are you, at this point in your career, what are you trying to prove? I mean, he's already compensating for something by the size of the uh, motorcycle that he keeps driving down to the ring. <laughs> what the well, fuck is with that? Hold on. What is with this motorcycle? Because why is this the type of thing that I I crapped on it at WrestleMania? I said oh, I didn't really like it the first time he did it. And one of the things that's fun about WrestleMania is seeing the new entrances. And he just did basically the same entrance as what he had done the previous year. No, the and previous I, two years. I'm pretty sure this is like the... Fourth or fifth time he's done the motorcycle entrance now. And it's just not that interesting because people, I mean, you had Chuck Palumbo drive a fucking motorcycle down to the ring. Like, and by that's the way, not, it's not that special. It's not the coolest entrance either. The thing goes like, what, five miles an hour? It's a slow ass vehicle. Yeah, it's <laughs> he's just coasting. It's not like you're, you know. Pretty much like the match. I, <laughs> <laughs> I forgave it. The first year was cool. I was okay with them repeating it the next year, but with Stephanie actually driving as well, because she was in the match. Uh, The Mad Max thing from WrestleMania, I didn't like, and I didn't like this one. I'm beginning to think, okay, Hunter, you just don't want to walk down these long fucking ramps. (laughs) (laughs) Well, in this case, like, these two are two very technically proficient, understand the business like the back of their hands. They are. They know. They could do this match in their sleep, and practice. And I wouldn't be surprised if they did. If I'm, if I'm completely honest with you, but it's just a case of like, I, again, it's just put your mindset into if there was any, if there was any two other people on the roster, performing it, they couldn't get away with this match. These two can get away with this match because they have enough of a reputation, and the crowd absolutely loved everything they did. They were trying. They had two. This is awesome. Chance within the first three minutes of the match starting. It's like once you know they're in that situation, you can basically just do your basic repertoire of stuff and you're going to like have an easy night of it. And I think these two actually tried to work hard and tried to have a really good match. And I think I, I think I saw someone on Twitter saying that um, these two are having the um, the type of match they've always wanted to have. Yeah, that was because, also Ross Berman on Twitter. Yeah. And it was just a case of like, I think it actually was because this is pretty much the same as any Triple H Randy Orton match I've seen before. Because it's really boring and I'm not really that invested at all. 
but it's in front of a crowd that's actually digging it this time. So they probably thought that it was so much better than it actually was. So, but good for them, really, in that regard. I can't, I can't begrudge them for it. There's some in the ring stuff I want to touch on. Like, I'll go straight to the ending because it sticks out most of my mind. I hate Randy Orton matches because half of them for me are just, no, don't do that. He's clearly going to RKO you. Like, they <laughs> set themselves up in, in certain ways. It's like the 619 where nobody goes in the middle of the rope unless they're fighting Ray. And with Randy, they create these distance and these spots. And I'm just like, Hunter, don't run that up. He's going to drop you. And sure enough, he did. They couldn't even come up with like a, okay, you block the pedigree into the RKO. No. It was just, he's going to run at him, RKO out of nowhere, because that's what you came for. Uh, I'm surprised that they had to both kick out of two finishers. Don't get it. Don't know well, why. Because it's like WrestleMania. But it, I guess. I laughed at the very hulky Triple H trying to do the catapult spot in the corner. Like he's still a young dude with long hair, and he just like jumps himself up to the actual post part of the turnbuckle that was funny to me and there was a really awkward spot where orton drop kicks hunter off the apron but it seemed like he was going to punch him and he like he just punched air and orton drop kicked him it just didn't seem as smooth as it could have been but as callum said we might be in a minority here because everything i saw said wow this match kicked ass match of the night Oh, I still wasn't all that much paying attention to it because I was still just salty about the Brock Lesnar stuff, so I didn't really 100% get invested into it. I, have to, I, have to, I was expecting worse, so I, I'll give them that much credit, but I still don't think... It's definitely not a match I'm going to go back and watch again. Yeah, I'm going to say that about something else later. We followed that up with Braun Strowman versus Bobby Lashley. I liked that Bobby Lashley had that entrance where it was, like, him standing on, like, the pedestal kind of thing, and I liked that Braun Strowman's entrance was, like, hey, fuck that pedestal, because <laughs> it's kind of, like, that's the Braun that I like, where he's just kind of, like, this brute force, wow, nah, he's gonna smash things, like, yeah, do that, Braun. Crowd wasn't really all into this. I thought that it was one of the better things of the night. It's just these two big really? motherfuckers that were just... Yeah. It it's a it's a pointless match that they didn't build up well enough, but mm -hmm. it was just like I got more enjoyment out of seeing Braun Strowman do the run around and bump into Lashley twice than I did out of anything out of like the Sullivan match, you know. Yeah. I I I'll uh, quote... this was just frustrating for me. This was I wanted this match taken off the card because it saved some time. I don't know why they just tread water with Strowman. I don't know why they just tread water with Lashley, but putting them both together when they both need a win is just a recipe for disaster. And Strowman looked really weak in terms of those power slams did not have the force that they typically do. Uh, I'll take my quote that I put on Twitter. This match was twice as good as the Randy Orton Triple H match and three times as short. So, <laughs> uh, I, I, liked, I like big horse matches. What can I say? It's just two guys that wanted to go out there and just out-muscle each other. I like the little elements of it, like the entrances. I like the tell and the tape aspect of it as well, because they don't apply that more than uh, as much as they should do. 
especially with matches of this sort of like with these two powerhouses against each other. I thought Lashley looked good for the time that he was doing it. I like the fact they mixed in a bit of like athletic stuff as well, like Strowman rolling through from the um uh like a dive attempt and Lashley leapfrogging over him, all that other stuff. It wasn't as smooth as some other matches on the show. Like this definitely wasn't like Balor and Andrade levels of smoothness, but I think it had a good amount of intensity and power, and I think they both actually tried really hard to try and get this match over. And so I, I enjoyed it for what it was worth. The crowd, once again, very into the Get These Hands. They were so in tune with the product, and that really helped me watching the whole show, but I couldn't care less about this match. It's almost like Braun Strowman's over. Yeah. That they should kind of do something with it. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Uh, and I forgot to mention, Randy Orton won by pinfall. Uh, oh, yeah. Braun Strowman won by pinfall, just in case anybody needs the uh, results themselves. And that applied as well to Kobe Kingston retaining his WWE Championship by pinfall over Dolph Ziggler in a match that, again, I couldn't really enjoy because I was just sitting there going, when's Brock Lesnar going to show up? When's Brock Lesnar going to show up? Thankfully, I was wrong. I will say that even though that means I'm going to have to keep going on with this whole Money in the Bank Brock Lesnar thing, but I was just like, Ugh, it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And when it didn't, I'll admit, big wave of relief. I still don't like the Brock Lesnar stuff, but that made it to where I could enjoy the next two segments a hell of a lot more than I could enjoy all the stuff that led up to it. I can sympathize with that, but I felt kind of disappointed by the match, by the way the match ended, by what it's actually building towards. And I love Dolphin Kofi, and I wanted this match to kick ass, and maybe <laughs> when they do it again in a steel cage at Stomping Grounds, it will kick ass. Because, spoiler, after Dolph lost because of Xavier Woods, he basically said, I want Kofi in a cage, and I'm sure that match will happen at Stomping Grounds. But... When you said Dolphin Kofi, by the way, I thought you said Dolphin Kofi. Yeah, Dolphin And I was Kofi. just thinking that there was like a Dolphin version of Kofi. <laughs> uh, I thought this match was... It, it definitely was like a first act type of match where you know that a rematch is coming down the line because they clearly weren't doing their best stuff. And I can't say I really blame them. It's like, I, went, I don't know how many matches Ziggler has had this year. So you can imagine he's pretty rusty. This is his second, I think. Yeah, so I think there was a few instances in this match. Um, Dolph doing uh, the Bret Hart bump into the corner of an Irish whip. Yeah, I noticed that too. And yeah, it's just like... Yeah. I mean, he's a tryhard, but it's 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 fine because he's been away from the product long enough now that I can kind of enjoy his matches again and not be so super frustrated by him. I'm still frustrated by his uh, promo style at the moment because it's a little bit like whiny girl. Like they can't get that doesn't get her seat in the car or something on those lines like that should have been my seat in the car. That so, should have been my ice cream car. I had uh, By the way, this was his eighth match this year if you count house shows. All right. I had it his pegged. second match of you. I had it pegged thinking Lesnar was going to win because we had done this on the preview that i was just gonna start the podcast by saying you should have shot me yeah. but lesnar didn't cash in so i couldn't do that i have one gripe with ziggler right now and that's change your gear 
his gear for this match was atrocious. It was literally just, you talk about the word Lars on your ass. This is quite weird as he just wore black tights with the American flag on his ass. And I didn't like it. Get new gear, Ziggler. I hope, I always hold out hope for Ziggler. So maybe he can have a good latter half of 2019 like he did 2018. But overall, I was just, it felt so disappointing. Like, this is where I said I'm very indifferent towards this show. Thankfully, though, that changed with the next match. I, I would say that um, Kingston's been booked really strong as champion, which I'm very much behind. I think having Xavier Woods win the match essentially on his behalf is a little bit in the wrong direction for this. But if you're going to continue the match, like the feud into a steel cage match at Extreme at uh, Stomping Grounds, then I guess you do have to have some sort of convoluted finish where there's enough wiggle ring that Ziggler can demand a rematch and get it. Uh, besides that, the only other thing that I had a note was Kingston needs to stop doing that trustful. At yeah, least, at least on one guy, because he just dropped from the top rope right to the floor, and Ziggler could only catch so much of him. Hmm. You should never do a dive where you can't see where you're about to land. Yeah, it makes uh, sense when you've got like six people out there. Yeah, and even then, it's like see that um obviously you didn't see it, but um the uh, Juice Robinson uh, uh John Moxley match from Best of Super Juniors uh they had a spot where Juice was on top of the st- well top of like a part of the entrance ramp not entrance but like like this like staging area of the arena and to dive from the top of it onto. John Moxley, but essentially missed every single person in front of him, so he just landed straight on his tailbone on the Oof. ground from about like fifteen feet in the air. Uh, it's like, like these guys just need to start, you know, maybe trying to be safe with what you're doing, <laughs> try and have a long career rather than risk it all in those instances. Well, as I said, this was the point in time where I was like, oh wait. They're announcing a match for Stomping Grounds. Oh, I don't care about it anymore. Now this means that they're not going to have the Kofi Kingston lose the title. Ah, right now I'm happy again. And then it went into the 50-man over-the-top rope battle royal, which to me was one of those things that I was looking forward to because it was like, eh, no way that this is going to be anything but a mess. And it was. But it was a fun mess. And this is where I actually started to actually write a couple of notes down because then I was like, I can focus on things like, woo. Uh, one of them being, it must really suck to be one of those people that did not get an entrance where you're still like, I can understand if you are like the good brothers who have never been treated well, like you wouldn't expect that you would get an entrance, but certain people were still big enough names that it was just like, man, I still just don't matter to you. Cause the only people who got entrances were the Miz, Samoa Joe, Cesaro, Titus O'Neil. <laughs> And, uh, shit, was that it? Actually, no, Elias as well. Oh, Elias, yeah. Yeah. I, so, I, I think even more was like a point when they were all entering is just a sign to how little attention to detail uh, WWE pays. They had the Usos come out right next to the revival after they had yeah. that match earlier in the night. It's like, fuck They're off. Right, literally right next to each other instead <laughs> yeah. of like a couple people in between them. Yeah, it's just like, you don't care at all. There's no fanfare for a couple of returns that we had, but it's still interesting that we get to see Sin Cara came back with some new ring gear. Uh, AOP is now back in action. The Viking Raiders were showing up here. I was surprised that they actually put them in there. 
who else did we get in there? We had two of five live represented in here. Yeah. Buddy Murphy finally did something. I mean, you can call it that. Yeah. Well, they had they had Otis doing a caterpillar elbow on. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. You had a uh, Rusev and Shinsuke Nakamura popping back up after like over yeah. a month off off of TV. EC3, uh, I think, was the first person eliminated. Yeah. Yeah, followed by the Bollywood boys. I think I don't know what happened to EC3 because th- th- this was like a, a theme, especially early on in the match. Cameramen were just all over the fucking place, and you had they were right there as soon as a guy had just been thrown over and was on the floor, but you never actually saw anybody really get eliminated until later on in the match. Also, Chad Gable cut his hair. Yeah, he did it a couple of weeks ago. Well, I, I haven't seen anything of Chad Gable in the last couple of weeks or ever, nah. so. Just but, a social media post or something, I think yeah. it was. It's Yeah, it's like, no, just don't do that. Yeah, he needs to get it cut shorter. Like, he, Don't do it with the whole, like, mop on the head thing. That doesn't really work. <laughs> uh, you had uh, Samoa Joe eliminate both tag team champions on his own. You had uh, Titus hiding under the ring for a little bit and then eliminating... Uh, oh, who did he eliminate? He eliminated someone pretty big. Uh, oh yeah, he eliminated both members of Viking the Raiders. Viking on his own. Raiders, yeah. yeah. But yeah, that's really great uh, promotion from NXT there. And they then, had a lot of weird things like that, where it was like the USOs took out. Um, hey, crap! Who did they take out? They took out somebody, and then the USOs were taken out, and like Matt Hardy took out the revival, like on his own, yeah. And then immediately was tossed by Cesaro. He's not even get a chance to celebrate eliminating both of them. Just Cesaro immediately gets him out. There was a lot of somebody gets thrown out, and then after throwing that person out, they get eliminated. And then the, there was a lot of like that chain reaction type stuff that happened here, which makes sense because it's just like, yeah. you know, it's whatever. I, I think, thought it was funny that Titus O'Neil and Shelton Benjamin were setting something up and they botched it. So then they had to just like walk around for 45 seconds to redo it. But I thought it was like, as, as far as Battle Royals go, it was a good example of it. Like the, the visual of having 50 people just in the ring, just doing just trying to find some space to do some brawling in was just incredible to see just like that initial just sign just like loads of people just fighting in the middle of the ring is just pretty cool and then as soon as like it cleared out enough so people could start doing some spots and having some interesting eliminations then it got really good towards the end and as soon as Mansoor was in that then it became obvious and I even called the whole like oh Elias is the last one he eliminates and stuff and this is where I think like uh, a political side of things can change your point of view. Um, I liked it. Yeah, I think it was um, it was a good way of having. I mean, it's a, it's a good celebration essentially. It's a good moment for Mansoor, and I like the little three on three thing they had towards the end, where it was Elias, Cesaro, and Samojo on one side, and Mansoor, Ali, and Ricochet on the other. Mm-hmm. I mean, you'd hope that the fact that Ricochet and Ali eliminated Joe means that that will have some sort of implications for the United States title, but I doubt it. And then, but then you have, like, when it's down to Mansoor and Elias, the crowd just absolutely gets their feet, just thinking, yeah, well, we really want this guy to win. And he does end up beating Elias, and he actually looks pretty good doing it as well. It wasn't just, like, him just managed to get a fluke throw over of it. He actually out-wrestled Elias almost. Like, and, yeah, the crowd just went crazy for him. It's 
it's obviously is a very difficult situation because you don't really want to say like, oh, it's great to have a home crowd hero for Sa- that Saudi Arabia can get behind because of the political issues surrounding it. But mm-hmm. you can't you can't act like all these people subscribe to the beliefs of the government or right. anything like that, especially with the women, especially with their reaction to the women's stuff and all that along those lines. And I don't think Mansoor subscribes to that sort of belief either based on the fact that he's working in America and he does work for NXT and he does work with like women's wrestlers. And I assume he's not around saying that they should be wearing, like they should be wrestling in like full length clothing and stuff like that all times or shouldn't even be wrestling at all. Yeah. And that's where the political thing comes in there because if they would have booed the graphics of the women, I would have been like, Oh fuck this crowd. You know what I mean? Like then it would have been a different story, but Look at the way that Mansoor had this reaction to there. Look at how nuts the crowd went for it. It's completely pandering, 100%. There is no argument behind it. This match existed to give the Saudi Arabia guy a win. That's that's the entire purpose of this. And to have a gimmick match that was like, oh, throw a bunch of people on there, whatever like that. There's no argument to that. And that's just a fact. It's 100% a fact. But... There's pandering for a lot of different things. And if you want to try to crap all over this because of that, then you got to crap all over giving, I don't know, William Regal a championship when they go over to the UK or like when Pete Dunne wrestled whoever the fuck it was. And it was like a big deal that it was like, well, Pete Dunne's like answering the US Open Challenge or whatever it was. That's pandering. There's a certain element of pandering that always happens in wrestling, whether it's the hometown hero or it's trying to get people to boo them because they're not in the hometown or whatever the case may be. And does it matter that this was Mansoor instead of some other people? Like some people I'm sure could make the argument of wouldn't it have been neat if Samoa Joe would have won this? Well, he would look really strong. Yeah, but you get much more out of giving this to Mansoor than you would have gotten it for anybody else. And now Mansoor is somebody in NXT. He's actually got stock. He's got momentum on his side. They've been building him up a little bit over the past month or so since Worlds Collide. And now he can actually be one of those people that starts to fill in a little bit of the gaps of NXT because we got all those people that moved up. And hey, look, Mansoor is now a mid-card babyface on NXT. I like it. He cuts a big promo afterward where it's very passionate. He probably legitimately believes that this is like one of the best moments of his life. And there's probably little kids in the crowd that are like, wow, look at that. A Saudi Arabian guy actually won something that's quote unquote supposed to be big. You can't hate that, you know? I agree. Um, For me, I felt bad for EC3. Just that poor guy should have never signed on with the company. Oh, he Gail Kim to this for sure. Uh, <laughs> the Titus O'Neil thing was funny. Because even the crowd, once again, was into it and telling him, <laughs> no, don't fall under the ring again. So, good for him. Fucking, I don't know what they're doing with the War Raiders. Since they just got eliminated by Titus O'Neil. Uh, Wild card roll, that's what happened. <laughs> I don't know if you guys mentioned, but AOP, good for them. Mm-hmm. And Mansoor, the only gripe I have even though he's an NXT guy, is he should have eliminated Joe just to, like, okay, he can have a U.S. title match, and now he's a made guy. He won a battle royal, and we've seen worse. 
And we've seen bigger stretches on WWE TV. So that's something I would have done. But the pop for Mansoor, seeing kids legitimately cry in the crowd and just see this place go nuts for one of their own. Yeah, it was pandering, but fuck it. It's wrestling. Wrestling is pandering. And mm-hmm. it worked perfectly. And I, yeah. Go ahead. I was going to say, I will never criticize WWE for, try- for giving a crowd that they're performing in front of what they want to see. Yeah. That's a great way to put it. Did this make the crowd that they were performing in front of happy? Yes, it did. So what's the bad thing in that? Mm-hmm. It's a hell of a lot better than when you start getting into the arguments of, wouldn't it be great if we pissed everybody off at the end of this event? And different things like that they've done in the past where it's like, oh, that'll really upset them and they won't want to tune in tomorrow. <laughs> like, I was yeah. I was, I was, was almost convinced towards the end that we're going to give Elias the win. I thought for them. a split second, I was like, Oh, don't tell me they're going to do this just to get the heat. Yeah. Like, because there's, look, I have said it multiple times in the past. How great would it be to imagine the heat if blah, blah, blah. But there's a certain time to do it, and there's a certain time where it's just not the best decision to go with. And Mansoor was a good decision. They could have given it to Ali. They could have given it to Ricochet. They could have had a lot of good moments, but the Mansoor thing is the thing that mattered the most. I agree. And then we got our main event, The Undertaker versus Goldberg. And this started out so fucking awesome. Yeah. Goldberg has one of the best entrance themes. Undertaker is already my front runner for the best entrance of the year. That was awesome. And I was like, wow, this is really cool. And this match actually is not starting off all that bad. Can I say something that's not awesome right out of the gate? Uh, a a guy in his fifties smashing his head against the locker room door <laughs> before coming out to do a match where he needs to be fully alert because he's wrestling somebody of a similar age who could really he could really do some damage to if he's not performing at his best. Like, I I. He, I respect a lot of what he's done in the business. I respect his charity work. I respect everything. But absolutely, fuck you, Goldberg, for that for that attitude. Because <laughs> like you're just risking your own safety and the safety of the person you're performing with because you can't seem to enter a ring without smashing your head against something beforehand. Like you just see the little like blood spot on his head, and you just go, "Okay, you've pro- you're probably walking into this half concussed." And he wrestled like he was fully concussed well that's where things get really dicey Mm -hmm. because I thought that this started off pretty decent compared to what I thought it was going to be and I was like you know what they might actually pull this off and then they don't and man was this just so disappointing um because I, I thought that the match was going to suck. And I was fully resound to the idea that this was not going to be good. But those last few minutes, they were scary. Mm. They were really depressing. And it's not just the fans that are feeling that way. It's clearly Undertaker, too. Yeah, Undertaker, who is a guy where you can say whatever you want about 30 years... Did he go too long? But he knows how to put on a good show, and he takes a lot of pride in his work. 
the way this match ended, I don't think I've ever seen a more visibly disappointed Undertaker. I th- I think I think both of them really wanted to have a good match. I think they both really wanted to try and do it. And you can see by the way the match was laid out, they both wanted to put on a good show because they don't know how many times they're ever going to get a chance to do this again. And for whatever reason, whether it is the fact that Goldberg was going on this with unsteady legs or just the fact that they just couldn't perform to the level they wanted to based on the conditions or anything like that, or the heat or anything. Yeah, let's let's just add it all up. He did the pre-match ritual where he busts his head open. It's already 106 degrees in the vicinity of the ring. This is not, you know, this is a guy who's only gone seven minutes at most in his prime. It was approaching about that mark when all this went to shit. So things do add up, but I never just felt more scared in an Undertaker match, including Hell in a Cell, than when Goldberg dropped him on his fucking head. That, ugh. That that is like you just can't do that in any. I know like it's not exactly like it was Goldberg's intention. Yeah, but, he's not sitting there going, "I'm going to drop you on your head, motherfucker." Like, just, yeah. Well, also, uh, also, what's hazardous is that tombstone by the Undertaker clearly dropped Goldberg on his head. He did not protect him. That. He did not. He did not protect him going down. Uh, Goldberg's head was too far down, and then. But I also have to say that under uh, Goldberg. When he went into the post, his head did collide with the post. He, I, I don't know whether I, I assume he bladed, but the fact that the blood was coming from the top of his head makes me think it, it was hard work. And if it was, I hard, don't think that he bladed. I think that that cut that he had from the beginning of it, it just maybe he did it on purpose, maybe he didn't. But I think that he just kind of like opened it up more. But it was just like it was the fact that it was right at the top of his head. Like it wasn't like on his forehead. It was coming from the top. It was full. He's clearly gone into that post and round it, and I just think, okay, you, you're. It, this is a totally unsafe match by two people that should definitely know better than what. Uh, it's like, and then when you go back and watch it, like, like you said, Tony, I, I was in the opening few minutes. I thought, okay, these guys could actually maybe pull something together here and put it together. But then when you look back, you start looking at that sloppy knee bar by Goldberg, like. It, he tried to put it on the way that he used to, but he couldn't do it because they're both not flexible enough anymore to do that stuff. Uh, he had the collision in the center of the ring looked fine. And, but it's, it's at that point, you know, that I just kind of caught up with them. I think it was the point where I knew Goldberg was in trouble when he was, uh, Unsake was setting up for the first choke slam, and Goldberg is just hanging onto the ropes and he's staying there for about 30 seconds. Yeah, and the referee goes up to him and says, "Are you okay?" Yeah, and got and Undertaker's just waiting, and he's having to like stand there for however long because Goldberg's just he doesn't look like he's ready to get up, and then eventually he walks into it as quickly as he can and takes it. But but yeah, the the two moments that really stand out obviously are the jackhammer dropping on the head and the botched uh, tombstone drop, which was meant so. To, how did yeah. you guys think that this was going to work out? Because I thought. I mean, I haven't gone back to rewatch it yet, and my original intention was, uh, or my original point of view of the whole thing was, he was supposed to pick him up for a jackhammer that was going to be twisted into a tombstone, and that was going to be the end. Well, I thought, I thought what was going to happen was that, well, after the first jackhammer that Undertaker was going to kick out of, I thought 
Goldberg yeah. was going to go for a tombstone. Oh, and yeah, another, that could have been a possibility. And Undertaker was going to flip over, reverse land on his feet and do a tombstone himself. But when Undertaker tried to do that, I don't know whether Goldberg was not holding him tightly enough or Undertaker lost his footing when he landed, but they both just fell over. And Undertaker mm-hmm. decided, fuck this, I'm going to end it with a chokeslam. Yeah, chokeslam's a lot easier, a lot safer. Let's just do this and go home. Which you could tell that that was just like... I mean, I clearly, the... I've watched... Because uh, I went back to watch the tombstone spot, which, yeah, Goldberg's head was a little unprotected. And... He clearly says something to him. I don't know what the Undertaker to Goldberg, but after that choke slam, you can hear him. It must have been something like "That's it, buddy, stay down." Or, but he says something clearly, and at this point, I just got so depressed mm-hmm. because it's not only is it the main event, but it's these two legends, and it's like, you know what? It's really kind of an equivalent to when you see your parents get old. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you're like, you know, it used to be that you could run around like a little kid and your your parents are kind of trying to keep up with you. But it's like, oh, look at that. I'm faster than you, whatever. And then you end up seeing like, oh, they're actually struggling. They're, they're, har- they're harming their legacies by putting on performances like this. Because I'll, I'll just put it out there now. If anything beats this match for, for me for worst match of the year, it's going to have to be pretty bad. Because, and, and I... I would like to give it leeway because of these two, the restrictions they were working under, their age obviously is obviously a huge factor in it. But essentially if you're putting on, if you're in the biggest company in the world and you're meant to be putting on the main event match and you deliver that, then it's like, I know there's excuses for it and there's reasons behind it, but it still is not on at this sort of, in this day and age. And I know they're legends and they deserve all of the respect in the world for it, for everything they've done. Uh, I've always held that, under, that Goldberg is one of the most underrated workers in history, just by the basis of the fact that people thought that he could only wrestle for a few minutes. Maybe that maybe that is all he could do, but that's all he ever needs to do. And Undertaker like, had to deal with a lot of shit wrestlers in the start of his career in WWE and got so much better by the end of it. But it's just a case of now they're just past the peak and this match was the most clear and obvious expression of that and i think the sad thing for me is the first half of the match really worked for me and Mm -hmm. right up until the snake eyes the snake eyes into goldberg bouncing off the ropes with the spear i was super into and then he drops him on his head and then they can't do the tombstone spot and i had flashbacks to Roman, where Taker that year was too heavy and too out of shape, and Roman couldn't lift him, or he couldn't help Roman or whatever. But this year, like you could see, even on that last choke slam, Goldberg was heavy. You know, like yeah. uh, just a bad match. Just a, uh, it's terrible. Worse than Crown Jewel, and I didn't think we would get worse than the Brothers of Destruction versus DX. And. Um- I think it just has to say that based on this match performance, and obviously I can't, you can't tell them what to do or anything on those lines, but I think Goldberg has to be done entirely. Yeah. I think I think any plans they would have had of Goldberg coming back and doing other programs, I think needs to be shelved completely. And I think Undertaker might have one more match left in him, but that's it. But they need to start... They need to decide who the that one last match is going to be against. Yeah, yeah. Like, they need to be like, this is it. 
This is it for real. We're not fucking playing around. Let's do a proper send off for the Undertaker. I mean, realistically, Undertaker has two matches left. He has one more Saudi Arabia appearance, probably. But it has then, to end in America. And then he will end at WrestleMania, potentially. And then maybe he'll come back. He'll maybe he'll make appearances at the next Saudi Arabia shows and stuff like that. But he shouldn't really be wrestling. But at the end of the day, based on what Undertaker's been doing, he's probably going to wrestle until he's seventy. You know what? If I could stretch it out personally, I'd get him through the Saudi stuff this year and the beginning of next and try to get him to finish up at next year's Survivor Series just for the on the nose 30 years. And that's Is that 30? Yeah. At that point? 90 yeah. to 2020. So three matches. It could be done. Yeah, with the right people it could be done. Especially if it's like let's keep the next Saudi one really short and let's have him with somebody who's not Goldberg. Let's give him Lesnar. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Jesus Christ, no. Don't put him up with Big Show. Don't put him up with Goldberg. Don't put him up with Lesnar. Make it, yeah. No, but do something like Undertaker in a tag team match with somebody else who can work the majority of the match. And, like, I don't know, it's just it's spitballing. Like, Undertaker and Braun Strowman against uh, Samoa Joe and Bobby Lashley. And be like, Joe can take care of Undertaker. We can get to see Undertaker Joe a little bit. Braun Strowman can wrestle most of the match. You know, something like that. Who do you finish but they won't. with? Since we're here, and I really think it's time, to the point where Michael Cole, by the end of it, was like, yeah, folks, you don't know how many of these you have. Soak it in. Because I think by the end of this match, it was, okay, might be time to stop. Oh, I mean, the way that they're fucking building it, it's going to be him against Shane McMahon. <laughs> oh, I was going to go it's him against Corbin. <laughs> yeah, he retires him, too. If Corbin was, for real, the Undertaker's last, I that would be such a blow to me. If if Undertaker has three matches left, I'd give him, and it was safe enough, the three matches that I'd give him, I don't know what order I'd do it in, is that I'd give him Strowman, I'd give him Orton, and I'd give him the f- maybe the final one would be against. I'd want someone from NXT who you really want to give a huge, or somebody that's lower card on the main roster that you really want to give a big push to off the back of it. So whether that's Cesaro or Samoa Joe. Uh, Has he ever wrestled Daniel Bryan? I don't think he has actually wrestled Daniel Bryan. No. He hasn't wrestled AJ Styles either. There you go. AJ Styles, Daniel Bryan, and then somebody else. Yeah. I would I think... do one more match with Kane. No, Kane's, Kane's too... Kane is also at the point where he's a bit... He needs someone to carry him through the matches. Yeah. I don't think you can put both of them against each other. I mean, I'm sure those two are safe enough and they know each other so well that they, they would be able to do it, but I just... I I don't think... I think you want... If you, want, if you know you... You only have like a few more matches with the Undertaker. You want to make those matches as memorable as possible in a positive way. So Daniel yeah. Bryan, AJ Styles retires at, at Survivor Series against Demon Balor. That'd be. A I'd good, give it that, to Balor. Yeah, that'd be a good. Uh, Balor has to win that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and that'd be a good free people to end it. I also maybe just for some weird reason, I'd like to see a match between him and Velveteen Dream. Uh, I'd like to see Velveteen Dream against pretty much anybody. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, but I think Velveteen could carry it from a character standpoint to the point where <laughs> you, 
you're not really thinking too much about how slow the Undertaker is moving because Dream is just standing there, just soaking it all in. He could dress up as fake Undertaker. Yeah, do that whole thing. Uh, well, as much as that was like a sad, scary kind of way to end the night, uh, that's Super Showdown 2019, and I pretty much spent the whole entire time being all salty about it so i don't even know if i could really review it all that much i did and i'm gonna review it multiple times but at the same time i just kind of checked out from the very beginning so i might have to revisit this again in the future and see where it lays on like my list of best and worst pay-per-views of the year but i don't feel happy about it at the very least right now that match is gonna go down as one of the most depressing matches i've ever seen and the overall show was pretty forgettable up until that end which i will never forget because it made me so sad so thumbs down i guess uh i think this is the best saudi show they've done that's not saying too much because the other two were two of the worst shows i've ever seen uh but so it, it was st- i think it it got to the point where it, i can give it like a slightly below average which has a score so like a four and a half out of ten or whatever so it it was still not good but i guess just about passable and yeah but it's hurt obviously by the final match being as bad as it was and a few few other aspects of it not being very good but they gave the home crowd uh like home crowd guy a, a big win so good for them for that side of things and yeah it, I think, on reflection, it's not the worst. It wasn't the worst thing in the world. It, it won't go. To, it won't be my worst show of the year. I'm pretty sure. Probably not for me, but we'll see. Uh, yeah. Well, those are our opinions. Drop your comments below on YouTube and subscribe while you're over there, and ring that little bell for notifications. Tell us what you think about everything that's that. Uh, your opinions and all that other kind of stuff. If you are listening to the non-YouTube side of things, then leave us a rating and follow us all over the place, including Facebook and Twitter at SmartOutMoment. Make sure you hit up that Patreon if you've got some spare change and you want to promote some new variety of content going forward. There's TeePublic and Redbubble for merchandise shops if you want to buy a t-shirt or some other kind of stuff like that. There's fanboysanonymous.com. I've been doing quite a bit of fanboys-related material recently, and I just posted my Dark Phoenix review last night. Spoiler alert, it's not all that great. And uh, I'm going to try to do some more stuff. So if you want me to do more with Fanboys Anonymous on the geek culture movie review type of side of things, then hit up that Patreon and check out all the stuff that's happening there. Subscribe to that YouTube channel and do all the same stuff on Facebook and Twitter and blah, 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 blah. Go to smartcoutmoment.com for everything else that's happening on there. If you are wondering what the next couple of things are, I'll tell you about that in a minute, but I'm going to pass this around to Rob. All right, and you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at DudeFelice. You can check out eWrestling News. You can check out WrestleZone.com and the WrestleZone Daily on Facebook four days a week, Monday through Thursday at about 6 p.m. Eastern. And the next thing that you may be getting from Callum and I... uh, is a review of New Japan Pro Wrestling's Dominion, which is this early, early Sunday morning. And it should be a hell of a show. We got Chris Jericho challenging for the IWGP title. John Moxley is going to be there basically in a squash match, and it's going to be fun. And that should be a lot of fun. Callum? Well, you can find me on Twitter at Wigmeister14. 
Uh, I haven't actually. I said I was going to do the power rankings Thursday. I, I ended up getting uh, distracted on that day, so I'm going to do a a version which essentially takes uh, Super Showdown into account. So it'll be slightly different the way I was going to do it, and that'll come up in the next either today, either today or tomorrow, something on those lines. Basically, when you hear it, hopefully it'll be up. If it's not, then it'll be up soon. And obviously, you can check out 2001 and Wrestling Odyssey, where me and Rob have been traveling back in time to the year where wrestling died, essentially. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, we've got shows up there from all the way stretching from January to May, monthly shows, as well as a special for WrestleMania X7. So if you want to go back and enjoy some retro wrestling, then go check those out. And as far as what is coming up next on the YouTube channel outside of the potential of the Dominion thing, on the next week's schedule, I've got, of course, another set of hot tags, but a question mark, because we could do kind of anything. We might play the game. We might do something that we haven't done in a while, like, I don't know, Heal or Face or Mount Rushmore or... uh, belt or bury whatever the case may be like that or we might just spend a little bit more time focusing on the sexiest superstars tournament because we are going to be heading into round two of the qualifying round or part two of the qualifying round i should say where you guys are going to take the top 64 and narrow it down to the top 32 and that is going to determine the seeding of what the tournament is going to be so if you have not yet voted on who you think should go into that round Go ahead and do that while you can. Uh, last time I checked, we had like 100 and something votes or whatever. So probably the majority of the people that have wanted to tune in and try that out have done that already. But just in case, go ahead and do that. And that might be happening Monday. It might be happening Tuesday. It might be happening Wednesday. I haven't quite figured it out yet. But anything else that's happening on the YouTube channel, you will find by subscribing and ringing that bell and following us on all the different platforms and stuff. And then checking it out when we end up posting that stuff. So in the meantime... Thank you for listening to this. Thank you for all your support, whether it's a like or a follow or a review or a comment. Everything is always greatly appreciated, everybody. And we will see you next time. This has been another Smart Out Moment, and we're being counted out.